We're on page, uh, Acts chapter 2, page 909 in the Blue Bible in front of you. You follow along as I begin in the very first verse, Acts chapter 2. Luke records for us, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We want to continue this morning looking at the book of Acts in correspondence with the TV series that we're seeing on Sunday nights, the AD series, to further see how the work of Christ continues beyond just the resurrection at the close of each of the four Gospels. This story that we just read, the giving of the Holy Spirit, is important because this event is the foundation of everything that we're going to see from this point forward for the rest of the book. If we skip this part of the story, we won't understand what happens from here on out. Well, let's take a moment, though, and just walk through the story briefly so we can see what happened before we look at what it means. The story that we just read takes place on the day of Pentecost. Verse 1. This term Pentecost, which means 50th, is the celebration that began 50 days after the Passover. Well, if you remember, Jesus was crucified on Passover. So we're 50 days from that. What we also saw last week, when Jesus was ascended back to heaven, we were told that he was with the disciples after the resurrection for 40 days. So we're about 10 days past the ascension that we talked about last week. Pentecost, this festival, was one of three festivals, main festivals that the Jews celebrated every year 
that the men were required to come to. This was one where they all had to come and, and meet in Jerusalem. So what that meant was there would be many Jews from that whole area that would have come back to town for this event. The disciples and the followers of Jesus were all together in one place. Now in chapter 1 we were told that there was about 120 of them. Many people believe that that's probably about the number that we'll see here in chapter 2 who received the Holy Spirit. While they were together in this one place, something begins to happen. First, in verse 2 we're told that there was this sound of rushing wind began to fill the room where they were. Now in Hebrew and in Greek, both languages, the word for spirit is also the word that's used for wind. And so we have a play on words here as this wind begins to blow into the room. Second, in verse 3, we're told that little bits or tongues of flame began to settle on each person in the room. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God in the Bible. Remember in the Old Testament as God's people were moving through the wilderness, they were guided at night by this fire. A pillar of fire that guided their way. We don't know exactly what was taking place here. We can visualize different things in our mind and I have seen what you're going to see tonight. It's pretty cool. Visual effects, right? Fire coming down from heaven and boom. Okay. They weren't there. We don't know. Okay. But we do know that something was happening. We can't understand exactly what it was, but something was happening when we see the external manifestation of the Spirit, something that was taking place internally. And it was cool. It was impressive. Look at verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two things were told in that verse. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And second, they were able to speak in other languages. Now we're going to talk about that tongues in a minute. So hold the thought. What are we seeing here though? As we read through this story. As we see these events described for us. Even though we don't understand them. Well number one. We see that this is a God thing. Clearly. This is not something that disciples had done themselves. God is in control of this. He is the one who's controlled the timing. Jesus told the disciples when he ascended back to heaven, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit to be given. When? When God determined it was time. God is controlling these events. God is controlling the timing. It is a fulfillment of a promise that God has given now, some people will tell you that they have the ability to psych themselves up into altered states of consciousness. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's not what's taking place here. 
the disciples have not gotten themselves all psyched up. How do we know that? Because they can't cause wind to come rushing through the room. You might be able to psych yourself up and get your mind to be thinking on a different level, but you can't cause fire to appear and land on all the people in the room. This is a God thing. That's what happens here. The Holy Spirit is given. And that word given that I'm using here is important because the Holy Spirit is a gift from God that we receive. Keep your finger Excuse me, in the text where we just were, drop down to verse 38 in chapter 2. I want you to see this verse. Acts 2.38 says, the people had asked what they had to do to be saved. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is. It's repentance and faith and receiving eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of our sins comes by faith, not by works. And if anybody tells you that they're going to heaven because they're a good person, because they live righteously, they are mistaken. We cannot be good enough to get into heaven. We must receive forgiveness through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. But as we read through this story, it begs the question, who is this Holy Spirit? Now, if you've grown up in the church, you might say, well, that's a dumb question. Well, it's not a dumb question because for many of us, we didn't grow up in the church. Who is the Holy Spirit? We don't have time to go into everything about the Spirit that the Word of God teaches us which is a reminder of why it's important that you need to be in Bible study during the week more than just coming to church on Sunday mornings. Because you cannot receive all the teaching that you need to grow in your faith just by getting a 30-minute sermon once a week. But we're told in this text that the Spirit is given. Well, the Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. Father... Son, Holy Spirit. As soon as you start talking about Trinity, though, people's eyes glaze over and they're like, what in the... Right? This is one of the deepest, most difficult theological uh, positions that we have. How can God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three be God, but there be only one God? I like to tell people this way. Trinity is good theology, but it's bad math. If you try to understand Trinity mathematically, three can never equal one. One can never never equal three. I've tried it, and I, they always got marked wrong when I put that down on the paper. Okay? It's bad math, but it's good theology. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. We don't believe it because we understand it. We believe it because the Bible teaches it. And we are not required to understand everything because when you're talking about God, let me remind you, you're not God. How are you going to understand God? Okay? I have trouble understanding jello. Okay? You put powder in hot water and then it gets hard. I mean, I don't understand jello. How can I understand God? Okay? And some people will act as if they can't believe something 
if they don't understand it. Well, tell me how your car works. Tell me about all those different parts under the hood and how they work. I don't know. Do you need to understand how your car works before you can drive it? No. You've got to understand some things, where the key is, where to put gas in, okay, how to turn the steering wheel and put on the brakes, but you don't have to understand everything to be able to drive your car. The same is true with God. You don't have to understand everything to believe it. Trinity is the belief that God is three persons, yet He's one God. Today we're talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Also, it's important for us to recognize in chapter 2, we have the giving of the Holy Spirit. But it's important for us to understand, this is not the first time we see the Holy Spirit. This is not the beginning of the work of the Spirit. Why? Because we see the Spirit at work all through the Bible. Even in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit at work. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the Spirit of God at work even in creation. This is not the beginning of the work of the Spirit, but this is the beginning of something new. In the Old Testament, when the Spirit would work, especially in the life of a person, the Spirit would come upon a person, would do something through that person, and then at a different time the Spirit would leave. Remember the story of Samson? He grew his hair out. He had the Spirit of God on him. He had great strength. But when he cut his hair, the Spirit left him. What we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit has been given in a new way. It's not a new Spirit. It's not the first time the Spirit has come. But this is a new way that God has at work through the Spirit. From now on, when we see the Spirit at work in the life of a person, the Spirit comes on that person, the Spirit comes into that person, and He stays. Spirit doesn't come and go. Now we have the Spirit not on us. We have the Spirit in us. Because Jesus has done a work in us, making us God's children, the Spirit doesn't come on us. He comes in us because we've been made righteous. But that raises another point that we need to make with regard to the Holy Spirit. You ever hear people say this? You need to stop eating all that stuff. You need to stop smoking because your body is a temple. Ever hear that? The Bible does teach that our body is a temple. But the our in the our body is Christians. God does not dwell in everyone generally. God dwells in the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christians, believers. This is a gift, Acts 2.38, the verse we just read. This is a gift that some people receive. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have the Spirit living in you. Is your body a temple? Yes. But it's not a temple to God. Right? Your body is going to be a temple. Either it's going to be your, the temple to Satan or it's going to be a temple to God. Our commitment to Christ will determine which one. We need to be careful to not tell non-Christians that their body is a temple to God when it's not. They can become a temple if they commit their life to Christ. 
if they become born again. But in seeing the work of the Holy Spirit, it raises another question. What does the Spirit do in our lives? If we receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves into us and takes resident, we become His temple. What does He do? What happens in our life with the Spirit that wouldn't happen without the Spirit? Number one, He gives us guidance. Jesus promised before He was even crucified, He said, after I leave, God is going to give you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into truth. When God moves into us, He begins to guide us through the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that work? Well, those of you who are believers, those of you who have received the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. It's that urging, that prompting that we feel on the inside that says, I ought to do this. Where'd that come from? Well, as believers, we believe that's the Holy Spirit giving us that kick. Okay, do this. That's the Spirit guiding us. But it's not just guiding us to do the right thing. The Holy Spirit's also at work telling us, you need to knock that off. You ever start doing the wrong thing? You ever start thinking about doing the wrong thing? And you hear that voice, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, what do we know? If we're thinking about doing something unrighteous, if we're thinking about doing something against the will of God, where is that voice, don't do it, coming from? Well, you never know, it could be Satan. I don't think so. I don't think Satan is ever going to tell us not to do the wrong thing, right? And we can be confident if we hear that voice, that is the voice of God giving us guidance on how we are to live. But the Spirit also gives us guidance, not just on moral choices, but the Spirit also gives us guidance on ministry choices. Not just as individuals, but as a church as a whole. For example, our pathway ministry to recovering addicts is a ministry that God led us to do. We didn't just sit down one day and, and have a planning meeting and say, well, what do we want to do? We believe that God, through His Spirit, guided us to the point to begin to do this. We began a number of years ago, Marcus was, was prompted by God to begin a feeding ministry in our church where we start feeding people once a month through our, our feeding ministry on the fourth Saturday. And it was because of that ministry that we stumbled upon Cheryl from Feed the Need and then she pushed Debbie and Steve our way who got baptized this morning. You see how that works? God leads us and guides us into doing something and then God leads people to the church through these ministries. This is the work of God. This is not us doing it. But not only does the Holy Spirit give us guidance, the Holy Spirit gives us power. What did we look at last week in chapter 1? In verse 8, we were told, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. The Spirit gives us the power to say no to unrighteousness. The Spirit gives us power to say yes to righteousness. This is important. 
God doesn't just give us direction on what we're supposed to do. God gives us the power to be able to do it. Why is that important? Because what good would it be if God were to give us direction on what we should do, but then we had no power to do it? That would just be frustrating. Or what if God were to give us the power to do what needed to be done, but no guidance on what to do with that power? We'd have lots of energy, but no direction. We need both the direction and the power that comes from God to be able to do the ministry that He has for us. But this power, this is what I want you to understand. This power is not just some psychological power that we talk ourselves up into. You know, the power of positive thinking. Do we believe that positive thinking can help us? Of course we do. But what we talk about in the power of the Holy Spirit is not something that we just psych ourselves up into. It is real power that comes from God. We're not tapping into some power that's in us that's always been there. We just don't know about it. That's what Oprah teaches. Oprah teaches that we all have this power of God in us and you just need to find out how to tap into it. No. We don't have spiritual power apart from God. And our spiritual power comes from God and we need the Holy Spirit to have that. It is real power that comes from a real person. This is fundamental to our teaching in our Pathway program. We don't just teach our guys psychological mumbo-jumbo of how they can overcome their addiction. We try to help them get plugged into the real power of God that can help them overcome their addiction. We have direction from God. We have power from God. The third thing we get from the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. We get guidance, we get power, but we also have the presence of God. This is important because do you ever feel in your life like you're all alone? Like no one understands what you're going through? I've got no one in my life. You hear people say that all the time. It is impossible for us to honestly say that we have no one in our life when we have God living within us. Sometimes I wonder if God just shakes his head at us as he takes up residence in our life and then we start crying, I don't have anybody in my life. You wonder if God raises his hand and says, Woo, forget about me down here. If we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we can never be alone. And when we feel alone, it's because we've not been talking to God. Are you with me? If you ignore God in your life long enough, you'll forget He's there. But if you are developing your relationship with God and you're talking to God living inside of you, how can you forget He's there? Because He walks with us everywhere we go. In the Old Testament, God's presence went with His people in these visible signs. The cloud during the day and the fire at night. But in our lives as Christians, we don't have these external manifestations of God out there. We have God in here. 
right inside of us. Again, explain it. I don't know. Don't have to. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've committed your life to Him, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. You may not have heard the audible voice of God through these ears, but you've heard God. You've heard God speaking to you in that inner voice. You look around and say, who's that? Right down in here. That's the presence of God talking to us from inside. Now, we got to talk about it. The tongues. That's a part of this story. They start speaking in other languages. Oh my goodness, there's probably not been one issue that's been more divisive in the church than the question of tongues. You'll hear people, oh, I speak in tongues. They ask, do you speak in tongues? Most of the time when people talk about speaking in tongues, they are talking about some spiritual unknown language where nobody knows what you're saying. That is taught in, there's other passages in the Bible that reference that. We can deal with that some other time. But clearly, as you look at this text, that isn't what's being talked about here. Because as they begin to speak in tongues, the people who were from other parts of that region began to hear them in their own language. So what does that mean? The tongues that they were speaking were known languages. Now what was going on here as the Holy Spirit came upon them, why were they beginning to speak in these other languages? Well, number one, this was a sign that God had done something. Listen, had God come in to them in the person of the Holy Spirit and there had not been this external manifestation of the power of God through these, these languages, they would have gone home and they said, oh, it was so cool. We were in this room and the Spirit of God came on us and filled us up. And people say, yeah, what happened? Well, nothing. Well, well, how do you know that the Spirit came upon you? I was there. Right? This was important because the visible manifestation, the expression of the Spirit, gave them confirmation that something had happened on the inside. Come on. If that had not happened, there had been people saying, yeah, whatever. They want to believe that God gave them the Holy Spirit, but... Who knows what happened, but that's not what it was. This was a sign that God had done something. But it was more than just a sign. It was also purposeful. It served the purpose not just of showing them that God had done something, but God doing something through them. What did they start doing as they started speaking in these other tongues? Well, they started going down baseball scores. Who won, who lost, right? No, they started giving witness to the mighty acts of God in the language of all these different people who had come together for Passover. Well, there was something else that happened. Remember that wind that came into the room? Look at verse 5 and 6. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven in that area. 
Verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. This sound of, of the wind caused people to say, what's that? And they came running to hear, to see what it was. Because they heard it. And when they came, they saw these people who began to speak to them in their own language. What was God doing here? God was breaking down language barriers so that they could hear the gospel in their own language. And they began to witness to them. They began to tell them about the mighty works of God. And come on, folks, you know what that means? When we're told in the text the mighty works of God, they began to tell them about the resurrection of Jesus. That was just the thing that had happened in recent memory of what God had done. They weren't telling ancient history. They were saying, you got to hear this story. This Jesus guy was here. He did miracles. He taught us about God. And the Romans and the Jews got together and they killed him dead. Wow, what happened then? Well, God raised him from the dead. And they were able to hear this message in their own language. This was God breaking down the language barriers that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel? The people got together and they said, we're going to build this really big tower that's going to reach all the way to heaven. And God's like, yeah, we can't have this. And so God scattered the people and He scattered them. And when they were scattered around, He gave them different languages so they would be confused. They couldn't communicate to work together in their scheme to get to God. Now in a wonderful picture, what happens in Acts chapter 2 is... Instead of the people trying foolishly to believe that you can build a tower all the way to heaven, what happens? God doesn't come, God comes down to them. They didn't, they were never going to reach God. I don't care how tall your tower is, you're never going to get to God. But God says, you don't have to build a tower to get to me, I'm going to come down to you. And God came down to them, and where they were, their language had been confused before and they couldn't speak, God brings them together. For his purpose, so they can speak, so they can communicate about the things of Christ. Too many people today, though, get so focused on tongues and what tongues mean and known languages versus unknown languages. We get to talking about tongues, we forget about the Spirit. The tongues here are a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit is the most important thing, not what God does through the Spirit. But let's make a finer point while we're here. Look at verse 12 in the text we just read, Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. All the people were perplexed and amazed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This noise of the wind and the people speaking in their own language, they were perplexed. Verse 13, but others mocked, saying, they're filled on new wine. They're drunk. Stick with me. What we see here is what we see so many times in Scripture. We see the different responses that people have to the work of God. Some are amazed and some just mock it. Some just are not impressed at all. We continue to see these two responses even today. You ever talk to some people and they they hear you, they listen to you, other people just mock. When we witness for Christ, 
Some will receive what we say and some will mock it. But what we see here is the Spirit works best through willing people. The Spirit comes into us and wants to lead us and guide us into righteousness. That is what baptism represents. It represents people who are willingly committing their life to Christ and saying, I want to die to myself as we lower them into the water. It's a picture of their death to the old way of life, to their old way of thinking. As they're raised up out of the water, it's not a picture of taking a bath. It's a picture of being resurrected. The old person is buried in the waters of baptism and they're raised to new life to live out their new commitment to Christ. People who willingly choose to die to self and to live for Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what is the point of receiving the Holy Spirit to guide us if we're not going to be guided? If we're not going to be led? How many times do we say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do? Now, I believe that, that many times that that is an honest statement. We don't know. I also believe that one of our biggest problems is we know full well what the Spirit wants us to do. We just don't do it. God is speaking clearly to us, telling us what He wants us to do, but we go a different direction. What is the point of God giving us guidance if we're going to ignore it? But God's desire is not to take over us like robots and to control our lives. God's desire is that we willingly follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit because we want to, not because we have to. That's why we sing songs like, I surrender all, I give it up. We don't turn our minds off. We don't turn our will off. We use our will and say, I choose willingly to follow God. I want to use the will that God has given me. I want to use the mind that God has given me to choose to do the right thing through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Not because God is making us do it, but because we want to do it. Where we give up our selfish thinking and we begin to live a surrendered life of obedience to Christ. Now look at your life. Two questions we want to ask ourselves this morning in closing. Do you see the Holy Spirit working in your life? Do you see the Holy Spirit working in your life and through your life? The Spirit came on these people and immediately they began to witness to Christ. To tell others about who Jesus is. This is one of the ways that we know that we're born again. We see the Spirit working in our life and through our lives. We don't just believe we're Christians because we want to believe that. We believe we're Christians because we see the Spirit at work in our lives. Do you see that? Are you actively witnessing for Christ in your daily life where you tell other people about their need for a Savior and that God has provided one in Jesus? Acts 1.8, last week, you will be witnesses. Not you should be, not you ought to be, you will be. If you are a Christian, you will witness actively 
for Christ. We have convinced ourselves today that you can be a Christian, but not witness for Christ. Well, that's not my gift. That's for other people. I don't do that. I do other things. The Bible knows nothing of that nonsense. All of us who are Christians are called to witness for Christ. Not some of us, all of us. Last week, we were told in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you will be witnesses to the furthest parts of the earth. The next chapter, God brings all these people together from the furthest parts of the earth, and they're witness to. They didn't have to go anywhere. God brought them to them. God brought the furthest parts of the earth right to them, and they started witnessing. Quickly, the same will happen in your life. When you open yourself up and say, God, I want to surrender myself. I want to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Before you know it, you'll be tripping over lost people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. People say, well, why don't we go out knocking on doors like we used to do 50 years ago? I'm like, you know why? Because you don't need to. You know what you do from the time you get up to the time you go to bed? You encounter people. We don't need to go to their house and scare them. Hi, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Right? God used that method many years ago. But you know what? You are going to bump into so many people. You don't need to go into their home to tell them about Christ. You're going to meet people at school, at work, at social events. You will have all kinds of opportunities to tell people about Jesus. How is the Spirit of God working through your life? Second question. Are you being obedient to the Spirit? God did not just give us the Spirit to tell us what to do. God gave us the Spirit so that we would obey it. Are you? If we continue to live out our lives the way we want for ourselves, what was the point of God giving us the Spirit? Are you being obedient? Do you hear God give you that thump on the inside that says, knock it off? I know I should, but then we continue to do it. Are you being obedient to the Spirit? We've convinced ourselves that we can continue living for ourselves, doing what we want, but I'm a Christian. We need to look at our lives and see the obedience that doesn't give us salvation. It demonstrates our salvation. It shows that we have God in our lives. Now I'm going to be really mean because I like being mean. Get out your wallets. I'm serious. Get them out. We have an opportunity in our church. Our drummer, I like to call him Little Drummer Boy has an opportunity to become a state trooper. He's been going through the process to become a state trooper. He passed the physical thingy. Look at him. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. All right? But he's hit a roadblock, and he needs some money to be able to do this. I don't believe for a second that God brought this guy into our church to hurt our ears with his drums every week for nothing. Right? 
This is an opportunity for us to do ministry to a, for a person that will help him. He comes in here and plays week after week and doesn't get a nickel from us. Well, now we have an opportunity to give some money to help him move forward in this process. And you know where this leading, where this prompting comes from? The Holy Spirit. We're not doing this because we want to. Not just because we feel sorry for Him. We're doing this because the Spirit is prompting us to do it. Now, are you going to be obedient? Get out your wallet.